been a joy and I love your response. And I trust that the word of God is in your hearts and it's not just a weekend of some guest speaker or someone coming in but you begin to live this. So this morning I want to start off in Luke chapter 10 if you would turn there in your Bibles. The theme the week has been the message the method uh the manifestation and today it is the mission of a church. So we're talking about the mission what is the church to do? We take Luke 10 where it says now after this the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs before his face ahead of him into every city and place where he himself was about to come. Luke 10 chapter 1. Hallelujah. And so the interpretation I have is a new American standard. But you'll see in that translation it doesn't have the words before his face. But in other translations it does have that. And I want to highlight it. Because we have two things with Jesus, we have his face and we have his arm. And we can summarize that by his face is his presence. Because you are before him. You are in his presence. But his arm is what he does. It's how he manifested his presence by his arm by doing stuff. So we come to a local church as to be so was very clearly saying and introducing this morning. And I love the way he says find your place and serve. And so it fits very well with what this church in the Bible and churches in the Bible do into cities. Because what I want to talk about is what happens when a church comes into a city. It's what happens when you are part of this church in this area. So I want to call this message touching a city. This area is blessed to have you as a church in this area. You are not an accident. Cities are blessed to have churches in them. The reason why you're in this part of the world is because God has appointed you, called you and placed you. And you're here for a reason. We often think that we come to a local church so that we can be have all our needs met according to the pastor and the eldership team's power and blessing but actually we are here to be equipped to be empowered we have a voice and we are to infiltrate community the whole world is to hear the gospel he's not coming back until the whole gospel and be reached the whole world so how does this happen And so Luke 10 you see that it comes on from Luke chapter 
which is similar to Matthew 10, where he called the 12, he summoned them to him, they came to him, they remained with him so that he could send them out to preach the gospel. We don't come and just remain a member of a church for 40 years and we Mr. and Mrs. Faithful. And we get a bench with our plaque and our name on it when we die. It's, it's got nothing to do with history of the past like denominations do. Mr. and Mrs. Faithful have their special seats. Don't sit in those seats. There's trouble because that's their place. It's not that at all. It's the fact that you're here to be launched out. And, and our heart, my heart as, a, as an evangelist, I speak from experiences. Kelly and I, we were saved. We got baptized in water and the Holy Spirit the very next week. In fact, the day we got saved, we were filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the next weekend, we got, filled with the, we got baptized. The, three weeks later, we were leading a home cell or life group. Three months later, I preached to a city. That's called a small city. Yeah, a small town, a dorp, you know. One of those things, you do this and you've missed it. But it's a place where the gospel was preached. And, and as I'm, what I'm saying is, what I saw in the Bible, I did. And uh, the pastor at the time says, I don't know what to do with you. You're always ahead and, and preempting things. And, and when I'd go home from work, as I worked in a medical laboratory, I'd go home and visit people who got saved on the Sunday before. And then I'd phone the pastor and tell them, hey, these guys, these guys, did I know everything? But I was available. That's a good heart to have. So we find that, and let's go to Luke chapter 7, as I did mention, I think it's coming up in the New American Standard Version, Luke 7, 11. And so I want to read the Scriptures. There are seven verses, verses 11 to 17, and it's, it's about what happened in a city in a town called Nain. And it's a very attractive name, Nain. It's like, what happens in Nain? Not much. But what happened after this, a whole lot happened. Because it's actually, it actually brings the perfect story of the effect of the gospel hitting a town or a city. And I know we can't take on the whole of Joburg, but we can do the pizza process, a section at a time. And this is your section at this time that God wants to do things. Verse 11, it says, soon afterwards, and it's after what? It was after he had just talked to the centurion and he commended him for having an incredible faith. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain and three things here. And his disciples were going along with him. That's number one, his disciples, his learner team, his interns, his uh, learner pastors were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. There was a lot of people that were just following, pursuing and they were amazed at what Jesus was doing and they liked hanging around with him because things happened. They were the inquisitive crowd. Jesus, disciples, a crowd. Isn't that amazing that that's exactly what's actually in the world? Leadership or someone doing something, those that want to do what the leader's doing and the crowd are those who are inquisitive and finding out what is actually going on. Verse 12, now as he approached the gate of a city, Notice that a gate. This church has a gateway into this area. Gate of a city, a dead man was being carried out. That's the first thing. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Three things. 
a dead man, a widow, and a sizable crowd. Here you've got three and three, three groups of people, but they're following different purposes. Coming out of Nain was a dead man, first thing, out of a gate. Then there was the widow relationship, the result, the pain, the suffering of what happens when someone dies. And then the crowd out of the city, which also contained the mourners, those that are sad, and also in this procession, which is not mentioned here, is I think they would find the priest leading the procession, uh, uh, the priest doing the procession of death from a city. What's going on in that city? Would you visit that town? Would you go and stay in that town? Because that's what came out of that town. It's not much goodness of coming out of that town. What's in that town is it breeds death, destruction, everything else. It's dark. It's darkness. There's this procession of them leaving. And, and, and yet you got coming directly towards the gate. One's leaving and coming towards the gate is Jesus, disciples, and a crowd too. So you've got darkness leaving and light approaching. Hello world. Isn't that what the gospel is? We're the light and the darkness. We're the ones that have hope and life. And in and amongst us, in this local church, as in other churches, there is Jesus. He's the one that leads and teaches and guides and gives us direction. I love the worship today. I love that song, We're Waiting in Your Presence. Uh, I don't know all the words the first time I've heard it, but man, it is so real to what's going to be spoken of today. So this world doesn't offer much, does it? And, and I love the, the words here when it says, and she, in one and a half a sentence, there is the summary of the sadness of what this world offers. A dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. It's not a big family. And she was a widow. That tells you a whole lot more. Very reason for her life is in a box heading out of town. What has she got to live for? What has a mother of a family got to live for? Where the husband is gone, she turns and everything in her life is her son because she's hoping for grandchildren that never come at the moment. And so the son goes, what has she got to live for? It, 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 it gives a discussion of just going down. It's what can this world offer? Nothing. I don't know what this young man died of, whether it was disease and medicine couldn't help, which is what happens often in the Bible. Medicine has its limitation. But it's more than that. It's more than just the sick being healed. It's the presence of God invading cities. Revival, and there are 10 points here on what revival is, which I, God just said, hey, care, how about this? How about this? And so I've never heard this preached by anyone else. And not that I'm famous and I'm the originator. He is the originator. But God brings out certain things around revival that I think when we talk about revival, to me, revival is the ultimate experience of church in a community. Because that church changes a community by presenting the Lord Jesus Christ, the name that's above every other name. Our brother read that scripture this morning. It is so true. Every knee shall bow. And we were wanting to dance and worship in his presence this morning. And maybe that's the way we'll go at the end of this is because of this revelation, let it be a part of us so that we will sing musicians a, a, a highlight. You will be up again and let's do this together. 
There is these things that happen. But here's Jesus. Now, I just want to be a little graphic, if I may. We're going to be part of Jesus' crowd, right? Be come with me. We have just been in the centurion. We've walked probably 15 miles, 30 kilometers that day through a desert. We're thirsty. We're tired. We're hot. We've been talking to strangers because there's a crowd. There's the disciples that are close to Jesus because they want to be close to Jesus. And there's Thomas always at the back kind of wondering, really did it happen? Judas has got his calculator, his cell phone out, and he's typing out figures and how profitable this ministry business could be. There's Luke the doctor saying, oh my gosh, how did that guy get healed, his servant over there? And he wasn't even there, never laid hands on him. How, how does this work? When he says, just say the word, my servant will be healed. He's just come from that. And Jesus said, that's incredible faith. And he's working out faith, medicine, and so the fisherman, Matthew says, hey, we're heading into the desert. There's no prophet out here. What am I doing following this guy? Every one of the disciples have their own little agendas that's being shattered because they got some incredible man, Jesus, who is showing them a way of life that has not been experienced on earth ever. And they confront this city, which is like every city around the world. It doesn't actually have much to offer Really, when it talks about eternity. And in a situation like this, you can be as wealthy, you can have, be a king and a prince in an Arab nation, you can be whatever, but you actually don't have much power. You're voted in. But when God sets you in, oh my word, you have all of heaven behind you. You are privileged. You are more, one man said, would you like to be a president of America or be a leader of a church or an elder or a believer in the local church? He says, you know what? When I'm a believer in the local church, I'm a prince with the king of kings. And a presidency is nothing much. You, you can have all the money and fame on this earth, but eternity, you want to be with him. So this is about that. We walking, sun setting, beautiful sky. We're about to come to this city and we're tired and we hope the bed and breakfast or whatever that's in there, camelin.com is good. Not booking.com, you know, Camel Inn, it's a desert. And they hope that it's going to be nice to come and stay there. But, oh my gosh, here comes a procession. All the mourners and the wailers and here's this slow walk into the desert. The crowd that you're with begins to slow down, goes quiet. The disciples are standing there and they're looking at Jesus because they wonder what he's going to do in this situation. Jesus doesn't stop. His head lifts and he begins to walk straight down towards the funeral procession. It's not in the Bible, but this is how I imagine it. I imagine it. You've got to be imaginative. God gives you the freedom to use the canvas on your mind to paint your own picture. The crowd behind go quiet and they go, there's a twittering in the crowd. They're saying, hey, this is going to be exciting, man. What's he going to do with death? He talks about resurrection life. What's he going to do with us? And so they're all kind of getting into little groups because they are, and the disciples are there and they're standing and they're watching. Jesus doesn't even flinch. He just walks down. I love it. You know, we need to confront the issues of life head on. We don't need to slow our pace and readjust ourselves. We need to be ready in that season as it is we are today in this season, this moment, that sort of thing. Let's see what happens. So this is what's going on. Um, when Jesus, he walks down into the crowd, was with her. When Jesus saw her, that says a lot. 
when Jesus saw her, he didn't, to me, I love this because he doesn't go to the priest and say, excuse me, um, whatever his title is, the right reverend Dr. Bishop, can I, can I say something, please? And the priest would look at him and says, you're not dressed for the situation, are you? Where did you come from? You're not of this town. You've got nothing to do with this. What, who, who are you anyway? What's your CV? What's your, what's your agenda? What's your background? What's your history? Why should I let you say something in this? Don't you know how serious and how sad this austere, sad occasion is? Jesus does and he walks straight up to the woman. When he saw her, he felt compassion. That's the key. And we've spoken about that compassion. He walks up to her. He sees the whole thing. He recognizes the coffin and what's going on, but he looks for her. You see, revival is when we begin to be a community of compassion where the heaven can flow through humanity into community. I like that. Revival is when heaven flows through compassionate community. You know, that thing. (laughs) <laughs> whatever the Spirit of God said there, that's it. That's how that thing flows. So he walks, he walks straight up to her. He, he came up, sorry, he felt compassion for her and asked her and said to her, do not weep. Now, when I read that, and I still have over the number of months been saying, Jesus, why did you say do not weep? I mean, surely, I know you had a funeral yesterday and you came late and, and surely you've got to mourn because it's a process of getting over the grievance. It's a natural emotion that happens. But Jesus comes up and says, don't weep. Why would he say that? If I was one of the disciples and I was John, the close one, that's like one of his top three guys, I'd say, what did he say? Don't, doesn't he understand? You know, we all lose people and we weep. But there's a reason why he said it. And it's because of that compassion. So one of the reasons why he said that is because Jesus was about to do something where that emotion was never going to be needed again for a long time. So 1 John, I'm going to read you some scriptures out of John. 1 John. Don't worry about putting them up. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. And I put there in small letters, don't weep. He had compassion and he realized the situation she was in. And so he comes up and he says, I want to love you right out of this weeping situation you're in. You see, revival begins with a community of compassion. Whatever Jesus did, that's the first one. Revival begins with a community of compassion. Compassion, as I said, is not an emotion. Weeping and mourning is, but compassion overrides emotion. Compassion is when divine love comes into action. And this whole thing, what happens with a coffin and the boy coming back to life, is divine love overriding that situation. Is that compassion coming into action. And so it says, we love because he first loved us. 1 John 5, 8, 10 and 12 says, The spirit and the water and the blood and the three are in agreement. The one who believes in the Son of God, who adheres to, trusts in, and relies confidently on Him as Savior, has the testimony within himself because he can speak authoritatively 
about Christ from his own personal experience. The one who does not believe God in his way has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed in the evidence that God has given regarding his son. He who has the son by accepting him as Lord and Savior has the life that is eternal. Who does not have the son of God by personal faith does not have the life. I love 1 John. It just tells you exactly. That's part of being born again. It's part of being saved. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atonement for our sins, the exchangement, exchanging of our sins. Galatians also says, that, let me read this, John 3.18, the voice Bible, there's a voice Bible, it's a really good translation to read. No one who believes in him has to fear condemnation. Yet condemnation is already the reality for everyone who refuses to believe because they reject the name of the only Son of God. Those who believe in the Son will bask in eternal life. But those who disobey the Son will never experience life. They will know only God's lingering wrath. It's good to be born again, isn't it? It's good to acknowledge that He is the truth. Now Jesus is walking up to this woman. He's about to reveal all this. But I'm reading this because this is the process of what's happening when he says, don't weep. You see, our, our message to this world is, it's not as bad as you think. It's a message where we tell people around us, you're going through hard stuff, but don't weep because eternal life. Things do change. Um. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. The Greek refers to an unsaved person as who has made the decision not to believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. That is, not to accept the salvation offered by the Son and commit to follow Him. Such a person stands condemned by God unless he changes his mind. He who believes and trusts in the Son and accepts Him as Savior has eternal life. That is, already possesses it. You're born again, you already possess eternal life. That's the hope that is set before us. Without hope, what's the future? Without that hope, we give up. A church that has that hope offers it to a city because a city can only offer what it illustrated here. When we offer that hope to people inside, revival breaks out because they say, it's better than we think. God is greater than what the problem is. The son, sorry, I forgot where I was reading it. Jesus Christ is one to accept the salvation offered by the son, commit to follow him. Such a, yes. He who believes and trusts in the Son accepts Him as Savior, eternal life, already possesses it. But he who does not believe the Son and chooses to reject Him, disobeying Him and denying Him as Savior, will not see eternal life. But instead, the wrath of God hangs over Him continually. Wow. The wrath of God. The fear of God. The fear of God. So, so those are just some of the scriptures that I wanted to read because that do not weep is not just a little saying like, what are you saying, Jesus? No, actually, he's about to demonstrate those scriptures because that love that he has 
triumphs over judgment. Mercy or compassion accepted is judgment rejected. When you have judgment accepted, you reject mercy and compassion. So, so that's, the, that's the message. Receive the compassion, the mercy, the love of the grace of God, and you deflect. You deflect the wrath of God. You deflect that because you have this. That's what it is. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? And mankind says, I, I don't know what he said, but I, I, don't, I don't trust him anymore. Bang, sin. Man's walked away. So coming back to him is saying, yes, I trust and believe in the word of God and know who he is, is one of the most powerful things. So reading on here, Jesus says, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to an halt and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all and they began glorifying God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. The report concerning him went out all over Judea and all the surrounding district. You see, God has visited his people. That's another word, revival. Because someone was revived, arise, awaken. Awaken and revive. That is the ultimate purpose of the local church. Revival is an awakening to that there is a God and a Savior who's real, that offers life to humanity. The creator is amongst his creation. Church life or religion is our attempt to try and approach God in our methods, our ways of doing what we think would please him, but it never will work. Because when you come to the creator, what can you give him? What can you do for him? There's nothing you can give him financially or prove to him the greatest thing you can do is die for another person so that he may have eternal life. It's called martyrdom. That is celebrated. It sounds like jihad. No, this is Christianity. It's love. It's love for your brother. But also loving him above everything else, above everything else, your car, your job, your finance, your wife. Loving him more than that is supreme. All you can do is give him your life. That's it. Give him your life. And when you give him your life, you'll do anything for him. Go anywhere, say what he wants to say to anyone and everyone. When that happens, oh my gosh, a city will change. Because that's what happened to this group. So, coming around to these, revival begins with a community and compassion. Heaven flows through those who have compassion. And so he was about to say, don't weep because compassion is about to flow into you in a different way. Revival is a voice into a situation. You see, he walked down that hill. Everyone didn't know what to say. He walked straight up and he goes straight to the one that's really in pain and says, do not weep. It's a voice into a situation. The church needs to have a voice into Johannesburg. Have a voice into our community. Not what we hear common on the radio, TV, newspaper, WhatsApps, Thing on our devices. That's not the voice. The voice is often very contrary to what we're listening to. It shakes us. It, it, revival is messy. I was talking to a young man yesterday. He said, phone me. He says, what do I do? People are, are demons are manifesting. Young people in, in this town are, are just turning around. They are 
getting baptized, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, people are just breaking out and speaking in tongues. People are flying through the room onto the floor as the power of God moves. No one's touching them. Worship is another level. He says, it's, it's messy. How do, I, how do I describe this? I said, don't ever try and describe or stop or touch or change anything. Don't give it a name. Because when the glory of God comes, you can't touch the Ark of the Covenant. You end up a crisp on the ground because you become its sacrifice. Because you are not perfect. You think you are trying to steady what God's doing. You cannot steady and control what God's doing. When that happens, it's religion. So Tobisa, when stuff starts going crazy here and your eldership team say, what is going on? Just fall on your knees and say, God, you're in control. Because when revival comes, it's messy. This is messy. You don't do this. You don't walk up to the, the, the person who's dying saying, don't weep. Everyone else will think, what the heck are you saying? You see, revival is a voice into a situation. What is boldness? Exactly. Kelly, awesome. Boldness is freedom to speak. Freedom to speak. Not getting a vote and part of a political party. Now you have, might have a voice to speak. No, boldness is the weakest person in any community. Frail, not got any proof of who that person is, he or she. But when they stand up, they speak with the authority and the power of God because they have the boldness, the freedom to speak. Why? Because you have been with Jesus. That's the key, one of the keys of revival. Number three, revival is a voice in the wilderness. The wilderness. And you say, well, we're not on a desert here. It's been raining. Yeah, but the wilderness in the hearts of mankind. Yeah, inside of the richest dudes in town, the fanciest homes, the nicest cars. You think they are made for life. No, they are actually lost inside their hearts because they're drawing all these things around them to make them feel secure. Just the same as the poorest man on the street is also lost because he has nothing to show life. So he feels he's nothing. It's a wilderness of humanity's hearts. But revival is a voice speaking into like that woman's heart saying, don't weep, there is a future. When the church reaches out and touches all levels of society, friends, you have a voice. John the Baptist, he comes out of nowhere land. Not out of the seminars or the pharisaical Sadducee Herodian gender of spiritual academy theological based academics. They can quote stuff to you, but there's no demons manifesting when they quote. They're dead, just an echo of someone else's iPod cast or YouTube thing. They had nothing. But John the Baptist comes out of a wilderness where the university of silence was where he heard the voice of God. See, it's not about your past. It's not about your pedigree. It's about his presence. And you say, well, I've just become a member of a church and just been here for a few days. I tell you what, you're one of the most powerful things in a witch's coven right downtown here. You can walk straight into that witch coven and say, Jesus! And you just watch the ramification and the echo and the blast of that sound of a voice in that world. And this will shatter the very essence of what's going on inside of those people and silence every single demon because they know there's somebody that's bold that walks into that presence. A church, church militant needs to become militant, not dormant. There needs to be a valley sound that will blow the, 
the hell out of people and get heaven into them. There needs to be a voice that'll terminate terror. <laughs> I'm just uh, having fun. Just awakening something that'll cause people to become what they're really created to be. Not a mouse, but a lion. That's got teeth in its head. Not like Satan, who's gummy bear deluxe, you know, he's... He's got false teeth and he thinks he's got there. He's been whacked. Jesus has gave him an uppercut on the cross that knocked the hell out of him a bit. That name, that's above every name that's trying to terrorize you. Oh, my boss, don't you know that? Oh, geez, when that person comes in, you know what? Who, who are they in the light of you and the Lord Jesus Christ? All you do is love them and they won't know what to do. And a missionary phoned me and said, what do I do? I don't know how to handle the eldership team in our church. So I said, love them. He says, but they, they don't want to talk to me. I said, take them out for coffee and just tell them how great their preach was on Sunday. How it spoke to you. Every shepherd loves hearing that because they want to shepherd the sheep. Just be a sheep. Stop being a missionary. Be a sheep. Oh, okay. Exactly. Just love. <laughs> love people. And that was what changes them. Revival does not need a protocol. Jesus did not have a protocol. <laughs> Revival does not need a protocol it, it, or a, whatever I write here, a container or a vehicle or an explanation or permission. Jesus didn't have any one of those when he went straight up to that woman. He didn't say, excuse me, what's the protocol here? I mean, probably the disciples said, oh gosh, doesn't Jesus know how this should actually, how you can approach this? The crowd behind him is saying, I like the way he just smashes everything that seems to be the method. The tradition of man nullifies, cancels the word of God. Satan cannot stop the word of God. But man's tradition, our ways, the ways that we do ways that we do things, that cancels the power of God. Satan doesn't have the power. But our ways and our methods where we think things should be done stops the power and the presence of God. Protocol. No, there's too much of that around. What's politically correct to say? <laughs> no, I, I don't follow that. Please don't follow politically correct the way you say. No, it's truth. I just want to. That sort of thing. And anyone who stands for that, I just want to love them. Fivefold ministry, instant, constant. Because it does not make you silent. It doesn't terminate your velocity of preaching this gospel. It doesn't terrorize you. It's the power that he just goes straight in and shatters every bit of protocol. He says, do not weep. Weep. I mean, uh, can you imagine the mourners? What did he say? Don't weep. Isn't that why we are here to mourn and promote this whole thing because we are hired to do so? Is he wrecking our income? You see, when revival pitches, it breaks those things which are dominating financial arenas that should not be there. I don't want to go down that track. It begins with an E. It's called. It's another E, another E. But the best E is eternity. We don't need those things. The revival does that. It's a key. It, it's, it breaks that protocol. Revival number five is a supernatural invasion into the natural. 
Because we do not look at the things as they are. For they are temporal. We look at the things that are eternal. Because they're not there, we find them. This is what happened right here. This young boy was dead. It's a corpse going to the grave. And Jesus comes in, shatters protocol, speaks a voice into that. See, that's what revival does. It changes the situation. And can I say this to help you say, well, where do I fit in this? Revival, the depth of revival is measured by the depth of your repentance. The depth of repentance reveals the level of revival you walk in. So now we think, well, I've got to wait for everybody else to get to that place. No, your individual personal revival begins with you at your level of repentance before Him. Because when you repent before Him of everything that you know that you should do deep down, there's that voice that says, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't be there. When that happens, that's when you repent. You repent. You repent. The depth of repentance. It's not, oh gosh, I'm wanting the glory and the goosebumps and the tears and the gold, the feathers and the gold dust. And it's, that's, that's not the issue. It starts here. And you can walk in your own personal revival. And I like to say to people, say, Kia, how long you've been loving God and, and you always... They say, we're always fresh and exciting about God. Well, I just choose to be in this kind of thing where if there's not revival here, what have you got to say? And so you keep yourself in that place. The precursor to repentance is conviction. Conviction, repentance, then revival in your own life. So conviction is the Holy Spirit. Question, (laughs) question, how much of the Holy Spirit is in your life so that he can convict you? Is that deep? D? Deep D. Deep. Conviction. What's conviction? The Holy Spirit. What is the Word of God? He convicts you of truth. He convicts you. He leads you. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you, can I say this? I'm going to say it because I've asked you and you want to know what I'm going to say. So it's going to, if you are not spirit filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking tongues, please get there. Because if you're full, you're going to talk. You get full of alcohol, you talk nothing. You're friends with everyone. You want to buy them what you've got. Isn't that right? So when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you want them to get what you've got. It's the same thing. It's a, it's a natural, it's supernatural. Second thing is, if you're not water baptized, please get baptized in water. Two things. That's a basis, spirit and water. Those three things. We read about them, spirit, water, and truth. And then something will begin to revive inside of you. Because you know you should have more. If you're not speaking in tongues, like in worship, if you don't know the words of the song, like we go to Poland, we go to Ukraine, we go to, I don't know, other places of the world, they have their names up there, and especially Belarus and, and Georgia. When they're speaking half Russian, they've got circles with lines through and squiggles, and you know, what? That's not even alphabet. <laughs> but you kind of recognize the tune. So you just speak in tongues. You're with them in the spirit. Is that not so? And so to be in the Spirit with Him, you making a decision and, and you don't know where to go, just pray in tongues. Say, God, give me wisdom. Don't ever rush a decision if you don't know where to go. He'll lead you. Don't push you. doesn't make you run. The devil will hold you back or try and make you run and make a wrong decision. He'll lead you in these things. So we're with Jesus. We're standing there and we're watching all this happening. He's gone up to the lady. Don't weep. He's now come up straight to the coffin. He grabs the coffin. He doesn't grab the pallbearers. 
He didn't even speak to them. He doesn't even acknowledge them. He goes from her to the issue. You see, revival goes to those who are sad and deals with the issue that makes them sad. Just let that get into your heart. So revival is not just, Jesus loves you, hallelujah, bless God, say this after me, A, B, C. You know, the A, B, C's of salvation, the Roman road. No, it's, it's true repentance of an acknowledgement of a savior, healer, deliverer, king, and you worship him. Those are the things. So you walk straight up to this man. They, he touches the coffin. I love this part because I believe it's a supernatural power of heaven working through, through compassion. The divine love comes into action and the divine love is about to manifest an action inside the box. Jesus never touched him, the child. He touched the thing carrying the child. Here's a point that the Holy Spirit kind of highlights. He says, you don't want to touch what's going on, but you touch the vehicles that carry what's going on. When you speak to a society in a community, you don't attack the person. You speak to the person, but you also grab the vehicle that's delivering the wrong things to the people. The vehicle that that person in can be categorized into every vehicle in your life, in people's lives, in your community's life, that is carrying the wrong thing to the wrong direction. You put your hand on it. You touch the container. You deal with the vehicles of life that are not delivering life. But you speak into it. And you don't have to touch it. You speak into it because life and death is in the power of the tongue, not in the touch of the hand. Yet his touching that coffin galvanized those four men halfway through the stride where they had to stop because the power of God is about to move on something that was dead that's going to come back to life. It has power over creation. They were the created. They were in the right place. So revival is a supernatural vision into the natural where the bearers come to a halt and Jesus begins to speak the word into that situation. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I love that part. I just reading that said, so, so yeah, Jesus, he has authority. You're watching authority in this little valley. Jesus deals with the thing. I don't know where the priest is. Walking in the front of the procession, he's not even involved. He's not mentioned. The mourners are there, and they're not really mentioned, but they're there. But the whole issue is this little thing in the middle where the bearers are, the coffin, and the mother. The other people are peripheral. And we can put our own interpretation into what goes on in society. When we deal with the issues, the society will follow what the issues are. Because they've just come out of a gate. They're in nowhere land. They're not inside a city definition. They're outside. They're in some area where this is happening. Some area, Samaria, some area. Judea, Samaria. and So this man sits up and he begins to talk. I wonder what he said. I'm hungry, maybe. Uh, you know, I, where's mom? What am I doing out here? So hot. You do, there's no air-conditioned coffins. It's just, he's just there. He gets up and he begins to talk. 
And it says this, and Jesus gives him back to his mother. So yeah, I understand that. He picks it up. You see, Jesus doesn't even acknowledge anyone else. He says, it's you and me and what I do and what I've come for. Everything else is just what we add on to make the pain less painful. But I'm dealing with the issue that causes pain. Because when revival comes, it deals with those very issues that cause pain and suffering in humanity. Because when God comes, he pours in the oil and the wine where the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life through certain methods. This one is destroyed, but Jesus poured in the oil and the wine. He spoke to a corpse. Have you ever spoken to a corpse? Do corpses listen to you? It depends. Because if that corpse hasn't quite got to its destination, you can talk to it because you go in through that ear. Young man, I say to you, Jesus said that. That young man heard nothing. But he did say, arise, that man heard that. So what is the word of revival? Awaken, arise. Community, arise. Church, arise. Don't worry about the other things. And I love the way as one man said, I'm glad he said, young man, I say to you, because if he was in a graveyard and he just said, arise, the whole graveyard would have got up and stood out of the ground. It would have been chaos. I think both crowds would have run over the hill and left. But he said, young man, I address to this, this one standing before, lying before me, I address you. He says, arise. And so the word of God goes into his ears, beyond his ears, into wherever his soul and his spirit is traveling, hopefully to heaven, or if it was heading to hell because he was unsaved, because he hadn't met Jesus, probably that way. It was arrested by the word of the Lord saying, arise. In other words, come back. You ain't finished yet. The best is yet to come. The boy sits up and says, oh my gosh, I was probably heading to hell. Do you know what the devil and the demons look like? But this light, a bolt of light came out of nowhere like lightning and grabbed a hold of my soul and my spirit and my corpse. I came back into my body and now I'm here sitting up. What's going on? Perfect. Revival causes the shaking of what is not there to be terminated so that you can come back. And hopefully you'll terrorize every other person who doesn't know the truth of God. And he gives them to his mom. I love that part. He takes him and he goes straight back. Mom, you know why I said to you don't weep? Because of this. It's because of this. She stopped weeping. Between the time of not weeping and seeing her son, there's that no-go zone of you wondering what in the world is happening. It's a good place to be at. Because you'll always find out. He gave his son back to her. It's like his son was born again. And she had a second chance. Salvation and God always gives humanity a second chance. He gives us all a second chance. And we're so grateful for that because no one else in this world will ever give us a second chance except Jesus. Because he's taken the responsibility of our first chance where we failed. Everything that we could not do in this world, he took upon himself upon the cross. He has done that. Every person who's not born again, this whole community does not know what Jesus has done for them. And it's there. It's a gift of salvation. There's a box in heaven called a gift 
to every single person that is born and is alive. It's got their name on it, their address on it, and it's for them. Us, we are the male men and women that are to deliver that truth, that message, that they have a gift of salvation from heaven that's theirs. All they have to do is open it, accept it, accept the one who paid for it and put on the robe of righteousness and become one of us in the glory of the gospel of the kingdom. That is what, uh, that's called witnessing, that's called evangelism. It's called taking that gospel out there. Revival grabs the coffins of life. I'm just writing down the things that, what is revival? It grabs the coffins of life. You don't need to be asked to take a coffin. Those vehicles, you grab it. You just walk up and take it. We need to be those people that will walk into the mayor's office, the municipality's office, the highest ranking physician in any hospital, the superintendent, the head of schools, the head of every community, the head of electricity, the head of whatever around this area. Say, I want an appointment with you because I have a message for you. I have done that in the mayor's office in Peter Marisburg, Pinetown, where we were. I went to saw the town clerk, the mayor, whatever. And to bypass the secretary. Why do you want to see him? Because they, they defend them, because they think the community's mad with him and wants to lodge a complaint. I said, I have a message for him. A specific message, no complaint. And I did. I went into the office and I put the Bible down on his desk and said, I'm here just to encourage you and bless you. Do you know this book? I forget exactly what I said, but I do know I ended up praying for his leg and he was healed. Guess what? That's how you touch community. You touch them in all levels. You see, we think, no, I don't have the qualification to. In Christ Jesus, you have a qualification to approach any of his creation and bring the truth to them. And you may be just a learner, school teacher or whatever. In other words, you know, nothing much to offer in the academic realm, but in the spiritual realm, you have all things. Thy kingdom come and Town clerk, superintendent, you do rule and reign in certain areas of your profession, but there's one who's super professional, who knows all things, who is the great healer, who does know community and the kingdom, and there is another kingdom with a king that's coming. And you know what I'm saying. You can bring it to them. So go pick a fight with the enemy and set the captive free. So who's going to do that this week? God's watching. He's watching you. Go and do so. I'm telling you, the chief superintendent of police. Hello, sir. Sit down, please. I have something to say to you. Jesus Christ, the King, Lord. He's, and just bring a story out of the Bible to him. Centurion, do you know who that guy was, Mr. Superintendent? He was under Caesar. He, he was carrying out Caesar's orders. Just like you, you're carrying out the government's orders, whoever, the head of chief of police. You are doing this. Perfect. The centurion did the same thing. Jesus said he had great faith. You know why he had great faith? Because like you, when you say a word, all your other policemen do this and do that and come there and do this. Just like the centurion, he had servants. He just said a command and he did everything. Where did that command come from, Mr. Superintendent? Came from Caesar. The centurion had to obey Caesar. You have to obey your superintendent. Just like Jesus, he had to obey everything he said and did was what the father said and did. And he just reenacted it. He mimicked what he, his father was on earth. Aren't you part of the program? Isn't it amazing, Mr. Superintendent, that you're doing Bible things and you don't even know it? It's easy, isn't it? You just bring the Bible into natural things. So let me start landing this. Revival grips the... Coffins. Revival is a voice of compassion that addresses the issues of life 
and paralyzes its progress or potential. It is a voice of compassion that addresses the issues of life and paralyzes its progress and potential. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two before his face, before his presence. We need to send people out two by two into our community so that it's before his presence that we come. We are like many small, young, again, repeat, John the Baptists and John the Baptesses, or Jean Baptesses, the ladies, Jeanette's, not John's, doing the same thing. Revival is, is, it has a message that will pierce the putrefaction of present life. Speaks to a coffin. It's a message that pierces the rotting things of life. It will raise it towards a radical reality by a revelation of Jesus. Revival is the raising of a radical reality of who Jesus is. Just finishing, fear gripped them all. They began to glorify God. A great prophet has risen. A report concerning him went out over all Judea and all the surrounding district. So between verse 16 and 17, there's a big gap, I think, because now it's talking about what happened there and suddenly what happened probably two or three months later. But here's the thing. What happened next? We're on the hill. We're looking at all this. This has all happened. The mourners change their worship from sadness. The M becomes a W for worship. They start glorifying God. They start ripping off the sadness. They change their tune. Every revival has a certain hymnology. It's the first time you've heard that word, hymns. Hymnology. Every revival has a different hymnology. I think I heard that song this morning. It's a, it's a message. Hymnology is a message sung. It's not just worship, what we do before a service. In other words, this is program, protocol. No, it's a message that happens. So when worship happens, people get saved, people get healed. Stuff starts happening right from the first strum of the guitar. Because when worship like that happens, heaven plays the tunes in your heart. He strums the rhythms of your heart. And you worship out of adoration and a depth. When people sing together, it causes a unity that no other thing can bring into unity. When a church worships in a way that it is pure worship and adoration to the king, there is something yet to be experienced in what worship is. When revival has worship in that realm, you'll be worshiping in taxis, in the office, at lunchtime, in your homes. It becomes a way of life because worship is something that grips the heart, that explodes it into a revelation reality of what revival really is. We can look forward to that. Musicians, would you come? Come on the platform. We can look forward to that. We can see that God that's one of the things of revival. They walk back through those gates into that town. How do you think those gates were like afterwards? What was it that was there? They came out with death. The people who didn't come with a procession were in town. Can you imagine? You're there, you now walking into the gates behind this with the crowds, the crowd that was with the deceased, 
they're walking in and they are singing. Do they know what to sing? They're just worshiping God the best way they know how. And you with the disciples are going back into that town. You're entering the gates of that city. You left dead. Now there's revival coming in. And when revival comes in, that city changes. They thought death left, but now revival comes. See, that's what happens when Jesus is leading a procession. Changes the city. And Tabiso, you read the scripture and I had it lined up. Lift up your heads, O gates. And lift up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is, who is this king of glory? We've just read about him. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Again, lift up your heads, O gates. And lift them up, O ancient doors. The ancient ways of worship. The ancient ways of adoration. Can we start now? As the song said. And I thought, gosh, how do we end this this morning? I thought, well, there we go. That's how, it's not the end. It's the beginning of his end. So I'd love for us to stand. Put your Bibles down. Put your things away. And just make space between you. Because he said, let's dance in his presence. And then it says, let us fall down and worship him. And I think, you know, we can do the thing where we say, are you born again? Are you saved? If you want to get saved and born again, then you just need to come to the front. You need to be a part of that. If you're sick and you're looking for healing, then you just need to lift your hands because in his presence is a is fullness of joy where healing and salvation comes in his, comes in his presence. Amen. Can we do that today? Not spectate, but participate.